Psalm 123. We finished the 122nd. Now these are very short psalms. And they're what we call a song of degrees. They're psalms of degrees. We find that they start with the, the 120th psalm. The degrees mean steps or going in progress. They used to call the degrees of the sundial. And it would shadow, be a shadow on the steps, the way they made some of the dials, and various other things. But these are little short psalms, and they're very wonderful. So let's look at the 123rd psalm. It says, Unto thee lift I up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. Now David believed in and looked to a personal God. He said, Unto thee. Now we have a personal God. God is not in some high heaven. That he doesn't see us. He is in this high heaven. But he is related to man. I'm thinking of the book of Ezekiel, you know. And a wheel within a wheel where part of it touched the earth and the other part touched the heaven. And it, any direction it went. And that signifies to me that in all circumstances of life, God is in personal touch with everyone here upon this earth. And in any situation, he's there. Unto thee lift I up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. And so we need to lift up our eyes to God in faith. We need to realize that uh, He does dwell in the heavens. In Psalm, let me give you this one. In Psalm chapter 11 and verse 4, it says, The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in the heaven. Is in heaven. His eyes behold, His eyelids try the children of men. And though He is in His holy temple, and though His throne is in the heaven, yet He sees and His eye his eyes and his eyelids try the children of men. By the way, it takes an eye of faith to see God. We don't see him out here as a, in a person. But we see God with an eye of faith. And God is, the Bible says, he's everywhere present. He's everywhere. And though we classify and say in this, uh, as far as a locality, that he is in the heavens. Yet he's in the earth too. And he's in the church. And he's in our hearts. And God is everywhere present. We know the Bible says that, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the length, the breadth, the depth, and the height. And to know, to know something you can't know, to know something beyond knowledge, to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge or passes knowing. And God has made it possible that these things are true for, for us even though He is in the heavens. God tells us to look to Him. The Bible says in Isaiah 45, verse 22, Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. The Bible says in Hebrews 11:6 that without faith, without looking to Him in faith, without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Now look at the second verse. It says, Behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until that, until that He have mercy upon us. Obedient servants depend entirely upon their superiors for everything. You see, the eyes of a servant looks to the hand of their master. The eyes of a maiden to the hand of her mistress, if she's a maidservant to the hand of her mistress. And they do what their master and their mistress tells them to do. In the Old Testament, this was very familiar, especially in those days. Because they had house servants. They had, they had servants uh, in the house and out of the house. 
And uh, for various reasons, we will not go into. But uh, here it says, so our eyes. This is, how, this is the application for us. So our eyes wait upon the Lord. We look unto our master, do we not? The Lord our God, until that he have mercy upon us. So obedient servants uh, are entirely dependent upon their superiors for everything. And we should be dependent upon God. By the way, Jesus was the perfect servant. The Bible says that he became a servant. He says, even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, to serve. And to give his life, even to giving his life, a ransom for many. The Bible says that he made himself of no reputation, but he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So we need to look to him for strength and for guidance and for, as it says here, mercy. Our God, until that he had mercy upon us. Now then verse 3 says, Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Now not not only was there contempt from the outside, but the Bible says we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Others are contemptible toward us, and we are contemptible within ourselves. I believe it's in the 119th Psalm here. Let's look back a couple of pages. I believe it's in... uh, Verse 60, well, let's see, Uh, verse 22, verse 22, it says, remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept thy testimonies. Remove from me, and the psalmist didn't say in the 119th, remove remove me from, I've been through this before, he didn't say remove me from contempt, but he says remove from me reproach and contempt. It sometimes can be on the... Uh, inside it says also remove from me vanity and lies. It doesn't say remove me from vanity and lies. Remove from me vanity and lies. You see, man is sinful. Uh, all of us are. And we all have these sinful uh, carnal things within us. And if we're going to ask for, for help from God, we need to ask Him first of all to begin here at home base, don't we? Right here inside. And get this part right. And then we're able to get... Uh, the other part, right, I think much of what David said in Psalm uh, 51. I want you to look at verses 12 and 13. Psalm 51 says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Now listen, this was after David had tremendously sinned, uh, and he's confessed his sin down. I'd love to have time to go into the whole thing, but that wouldn't be our purpose. But... This was after his confession, and he says, look, he said, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Now look at the next verse. Then, see that? Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. You see, if we don't take care of home base first, and take care of what's inside first, then we're not going to have any effect on anyone else. It's only as we get ourselves right that we are able to right others. And we, we must remember that in all that we do. In witnessing to a lost soul, in, in, in trying to help a, a fellow believer, if our words do not, in our lives do not measure up to our words, they'll look and say, yes, preacher, you're saying do this, but you don't do it yourself. Or they'll say, yes, layman or Christian or, or whatever your name is, uh, they'll say, yes, you, you tell me to do this, but you don't do it. You see, it doesn't work that way. People will not listen. Sometimes what you 
do speaks louder than what you say. And you better have both of them in hand in hand and walk with the Lord in both ways or they won't listen. And that's just uh, the way it is. And God's Word teaches that. Look at Psalm 123 back in our text. It says, Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us. We are in desperate need of mercy, are we not? And it says, For we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Then it says, Our soul is exceedingly filled with scorning of those that are at ease and with contempt of the proud. There's also contempt from the outside. See, there's contempt that comes from within us. And you know, we always want to lay it all as if it's all on the outside. But they... In the last verse, he shows that part of it is from the outside. But in the verse before, he says part of it's from the inside too. You know, we go around in this world today and we look at everybody and we judge everybody by what they're doing. And we say, my, I'd never do that. But we do things. Remember when they, when they wanted to stone this woman that was taken in adultery? And Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground? I wonder if he did not write... The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Or the law, you're under condemnation of the law, but you're set free by grace. And forgiveness is in Jesus. I don't know what he wrote. None of us do. But anyway, he said, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. Or first cast a stone. Okay? And the word there means, He that is without that same sin... Not just any sin. Not just the sin of maybe telling a little lie. Not just the sin of maybe uh, being a little bit of covetous and never really going through with co- taking something that you're covetous of. But he says, He that is without sin, that very same sin. And you know why? Because Jesus said uh, that uh, the sin is deeper than the outward act. He said, Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already. And so our hearts and the way we live from the very inside out is under judgment of God. And so if we think we can go around and say, well, you know, that fellow did so and so. What about what I did? What about what you did? What about what all we all do? So we come to this last verse in this. It says, our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorning of those that are at ease and with contempt of the proud. The scorning... And contempt comes from two sources. Those that are at ease. It reminds me of people that when they don't have anything to do, they can really scorn, can't they? And they can really uh, come in with the pride of their own feelings. I think being at ease is one of the worst things that can happen to a person. I don't mean you shouldn't relax once in a while and enjoy and have pleasures and go on a, uh, have a little uh, rest from your labors. The Bible says, and let me read this in Amos chapter 6, verse 1. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. Zion's a picture of the church. And Zion's a picture of God's people and of God's city. And it says, and that trust in the mountain of Samaria. They trust in other things in the Lord. Which are named chief of the nations to whom the house of Israel came. Down in verse 6 it says, that drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with chief ointments, but they are not grieved. Look, here's what's wrong with what they're not doing. They are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. They're not concerned and they're not weeping or shedding any tears over their brother that's in trouble. And it has problems and has needs. You see? Woe unto them that are at ease in Zion. We used to say an idle mind is a devil's workshop and it is. And we, you know, actually when people are, are just have nothing to do, the, the first thing that comes to their mind is usually the wrong thing to do. 
You know, I had a professor in the seminary. He says, if I get a guy to work for me and to do something for me, I want to get the busiest guy that I can find because I know he'll get it done because the reason he's busy, he'll get the job done. If you find a guy that don't, doesn't ever do anything, say, when's the last job you had? Well, you know, about nine months ago, uh, I did something for somebody, you know. And what have you been doing since then? Well, I really haven't had anything to do. It's not that it's not right to, to retire when you have time. But listen, get on the ball. Start doing something. I can't imagine anyone being bored and not having anything to do. That's beyond my comprehension. I don't find enough hours in the day to do what I'd like to do. Someone says, I'm so bored. Well, I don't feel sorry for you. I think you ought to just get up off your seat and start doing something. Then you wouldn't be so bored. I don't, I really don't. I can't, I can't sympathize with a guy that's bored. And now, I don't want to bore you with a lot of things that are not important. But on the other hand, as far as not having anything to do, I believe it would apply. So the scorning, and contempt come from two sources. First of all, those that are at ease. And secondly, the proud. Look at that. It says, and with contempt of the proud. The proud. It says in Psalm 86 verse 14, O God, the, the proud are risen against me. And so we have those two sources. I think we've pretty well covered that little psalm. Now then, let's look at the 124th psalm. We'll just take them one at a time and try to draw as much as we can out of them. Our defender in the 124th. Psalm 124, it says, Look, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, now may Israel say, unless we must read the next verse, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us. You know, the secret of our security is the Lord on, was on our side. If God be for us, the Bible says, who can be against us? Every once in a while you wonder if you're going to lose the battle. Just make sure that God's on your side and you're not going to lose it. That's the main thing. And sometimes you know you're threatened, intimidated, and things, various things happen in life. You say, listen, I want to do what God wants me to do. And whatever comes of it, I know I'm in His hands and He's going to see you through. I love that, don't you? If God be for us, who can be against us? So, the Lord was present when we needed Him. It says, when men rose up against us, as far as Israel was concerned, and it's true for you and I. The Bible says in Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. You know, everyone has trouble. Someone says, well, I don't have any trouble. I'm sure you do. The Bible says, Job says, man that is born of woman is of a few days, and they're full of trouble. So you're bound to have a few of them. If, if ordinarily man's days are full of trouble. And he says, man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. Another one from Job. But we find that he is with us when we need him. And when the, uh, we are in trouble. God is our refuge and strength. The very present help in trouble. Now I want us to notice beginning with verse 3. The nature of the enemy. It says in verse 3. Then they had swallowed us up quickly. When their wrath was kindled against us. Like a serpent that swallows up his victim. And yet we find that if we trust in the Lord, He's not going to permit that to have happen. The character and the nature of the enemy is described on down through verse 7. And our deliverance as well. The Bible says, I mean, it says in verse 4 here, Then the waters had overwhelmed us. The stream had gone over our soul. You know, the enemy will come in upon us like a flood. It'll seem like it just washes away with a flood. 
We've had flash floods in the mountains here. In fact, a few years back, if you remember, even down Paradise Canyon, a man couldn't get out there because it washed his car off the road and he drowned. And some of you know or remember. And just a sudden, all of a sudden. And it says the enemy, look, he's going to come in. The water's overwhelmed us. The stream had gone over our soul. And that's the way the enemy comes in, like a flood upon us. And I could give you reference after reference, but we'll progress on. Verse 5 says, Then the proud waters had gone over our soul, like the proud waves of the sea. And then like a wild animal in verse 6, Blessed be the Lord who hath not given us as a prey to their teeth. Your adversary the devil is a roaring lion. He's got teeth, hasn't he? Walking about, seeking whom he may devour. And it says here, Blessed be the Lord who hath not given us as a prey to their teeth. Someone think, you know, if you think the devil's going to get you and take charge of you and, and devour you, the Bible says that he will not give, give us over to the, the prey. And so let's stand fast in the Lord and we'll not be given over to the prey or the teeth of the lion or the, uh, uh, the devil himself. And that scripture that we gave you that says, uh, your adversary the devil is a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, that may scare some of us. But then the next verse says, Whom resist steadfast in the faith. And then it also reminds us that your brethren uh, also have this same problem. That you're not alone in the battle. See, sometimes when the devil assaults you, you think, well, I'm the only one he ever bothers. No, don't ever think that. He gets to all of us. He, t- he tries to. But it says God is not going to... He's not going to give... Blessed be the Lord who hath not given us unto... A prey to their teeth. A prey to their teeth. As a prey to their teeth. Look at verse uh, 7. Our soul escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we are escaped. Like a fowler. One who catches birds with a net. And it says, our soul is escaped. Who brought about that escape? God brought that about. Out of the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we are escaped. You know what it's talking about? It means the devil has his snares and traps for us. And the Bible teaches us that we can be delivered out of the wiles and snares of the devil. And uh, so the Lord is our helper. Look at verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who is the one? The nature of our helper. He is the creator. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. You know, if the Lord is creator of all things... He made all things in heaven and earth. Surely He can control all that He has made and He can deliver us out of all these things that would snare us or take us by force or we would fall into the teeth of the prey, uh, be given, not be given as a prey to their teeth. So God is able to protect us in that sense. Look at uh, Psalm 125. Our safety. Our safety. Look here. They that trust in the Lord Boy, I like that. Shall what? Shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever. You talk about steadfastness is the mark of the true believer. Steadfast in trusting in the Lord. And the Lord is going to take care of us. Believers are like a mountain that can never be removed from the Lord. The Bible says... Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That means for us to keep on trusting. They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion. So the main thing for us is to trust in the Lord. 
And when we have that trust in the Lord, it says, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever. Not only are we steadfast, but we're safe. God's word abideth forever. When we trust in the Lord, the Bible says in 1 Peter 1 verse 25, that we're born of this word by the gospel. It says, the word of God abideth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. This same word that preaches the gospel to you is the word that abides forever, and therefore we have safety and surety and steadfastness. Look at the next verse. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about His people from henceforth even forever. The Lord has His people surrounded on every side. You know, sometimes we have too overmuch fear, do we not? He says, As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about His people from henceforth even forever. Now, it doesn't mean that there was no way out. Because God left a, a way of, out of Jerusalem. There were mountains there around it. But it does not keep, keep completely enclose Jerusalem so that there's no, no way to go in and out. But there's plenty there for protection. God has made us free. The Bible says, if Christ shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. The Lord surrounds us on every side. The Bible says in Psalm, let me read this in Psalm 34. Look in Psalm 34, verse 7. It says, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. The angel of the Lord. Someone says, how can the angel, singular, be a roundabout? Because the angel of the Lord is seen as God himself surrounding us, protecting us from every harm and evil. He's not only around us, but he is above us. The Bible says that the Lord, he is God in heaven above. Deuteronomy 4, verse 39. He is before us. The Bible tells us that the pillar of cloud that went behind Israel, uh, uh, that went before Israel, also went behind them and separated them. So he's before us and behind us. Let me read two verses in the book of Exodus, chapter 13 and 14. Let me read this in 13.21 and then 14.19. 13.21 says, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them in the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. That was before them. By day and night. And then in 14 verse 19, And the angel of God which went before the camp. Now here it's spoken of as the angel of God. Uh, went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them, and the pillar of the cloud went be from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and darkness to them, that is the Egypt, Egyptians, but it gave light by night to these, that's the children of Israel. You see, that's which is, that which is light to you and I is darkness to the world. The Bible says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them. He's in the dark, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. You see, that's why you need the house of God. That's why you need the Word of God. To open up your mind spiritually. First of all, we have to be born of the Spirit, do we not? Except a man be born again, he cannot enter, or he cannot see the kingdom of God. And being born of the Spirit is being born from above. And then it is by faith, the Bible says, the one that believes on Him, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And so you have to have a true faith in Jesus in order to be born again. And when you are born again, God is able to give you spiritual enlightenment. And when He gives you spiritual enlightenment, 
then you can see the spiritual things. But the darkness is to those that are without. The light is to those that are uh, on God's side. The pillar of cloud and pillar of fire was symbolical of the Holy Spirit. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire did not depart from them throughout all their wilderness journeys. The Holy Spirit will never depart from us. He's with us. Jesus said, when I promise you the Holy Spirit, He shall be with you, He shall be in you, and He shall abide in you forever. And when He gives you His Holy Spirit, He's not going to take Him away. The reason David prayed, take not the Holy Spirit from me in Psalm 51, is because in those days, the Holy Spirit was not yet given as a permanent indwelling presence in the hearts of men. But after Jesus died on the cross, and He was resurrected, and He said that before He died, that the Holy Spirit was not yet given. But after His death, and, and the coming of the Holy Spirit, and, and the in, indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it says that whosoever would believe on Him shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. And uh, so we come to the fact that He is not only above us, the Lord... Look at that verse again. It says in Psalm 125, verse 2, As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about His people from henceforth even forever. So He's not only around about us, He's above us, He's before us, He's behind us, He's beneath us. He's beneath us. Someone might say, what's going to happen? You know, I feel like the bottom's going to drop out of everything. Well, the Bible says, underneath are the everlasting arms. Where can you fall? You're going to fall right into God's arms and He's going to bear you up. That's Deuteronomy 33, verse 27. And by the way, He is in us too. The Bible says He's within us because it says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. We've already quoted the whole of that verse. In the inner man. And then it says, He is with us too. He's with us. Jesus says, Lo, I'm with you always. He says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee in the book of Hebrews. So what is it? He is round about us. He's above us, He's before us, He's behind us, He's beneath us, He's within us, and He is with us. I couldn't ask for more, could you? Look at the next verse. It says, uh, uh, the rod of the wicked. It says, for the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous, lest the righteous put forth their hands unto iniquity. Look at that. The rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous. God has a limit as to what the wicked can do. The rod of the wicked is limited. Remember what uh, the Lord told Job? You know, the devil was having a field day with Job. And you remember what uh, the Lord told Satan in relation to Job? He says, you can do everything, but take not his life. You can't take his life away. And the devil's complaint was, says, you know, Lord, I could do a lot of things. God, if you just permit me, I could do a lot of things to old Job, but you have him hedged in. You have a hedge about him. Yes, God says, I've got a hedge about him. I'm not going to let you go beyond what I permit. And this next part of this verse, look at the last part of verse 3. Lest the righteous put forth their hands unto iniquity. You see, even good men can only take so much. And God says, I'm going to put a limit as to what the devil can do because I don't want them to have to put forth their hands to iniquity. You see, you and I could be so put under pressure from evil forces and evil powers if God didn't relieve that, we could turn to all kinds of sin. You know, if my family was hungry, how long would we go? How long would you go before you'd go out and if you had to, to, to steal something? That's what the Bible teaches, that, that a man might steal to feed his family. 
But see, God can keep you from having to go that far. And it says here, For the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous. He's going to stop it before it gets to a point, lest the righteous put forth their hands unto iniquity. Lest they have to do something that they don't want to do. And that's why God's people need to be praying for the pressures that come in upon people. That try to destroy their lives and try to take all their possessions and try to do them in. You know the devil is out to do in all of God's people. Don't ever mistake. There are two forces in this world. And they, the devil has his forces to try to destroy the family, the, your, your home, your domestic life, your finances, your, every situation that you have to deal with in life. It's his business to try to do something about it, destroy it. But it's ours to stay straight with God and trust in the Lord and remember that God's around us and he's going to help us. I want you to notice verse 4. Look at this one. I like this. Do good, O Lord, unto those that be good, and to them that are upright in their hearts. The reward of those that do good. Well, we're not good in ourselves, are we? The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. But on the other hand, by the grace of God, He's made us different people than we were before. And He expects us to do good and to do right. And we as God's people ought to try to do what is right. That doesn't mean we're sinless. not talking about that. But it does mean we ought to do what's right. And so many people could care less about Christian ethics. But it's always right to do right. It's never right to, it's never right to do wrong to, because someone else has done wrong. If they do wrong, that's their, that's their problem, not yours. It doesn't mean that you need to get revenge either. But it does mean in all your dealings, we need to do right. And I'll guarantee you, if you'll make that a practice, make it a very meticulous thing in your life and say, whatever I do, I want to do the right thing. And if we'll examine our hearts, pray about it or talk about it and work and do what's right, Randy and I have to face it every day in dealing with the things of the church to do the right thing. And there's plenty of them too. Don't misunderstand because there are. But the thing about it is, we want to do the right thing. We don't want this church to be branded as, well, you know, the wrong kind of people. We don't want their pastors to be branded as the wrong kind of people. We don't want the teachers or, or the laymen or the Christians, the people, the members to be branded as the wrong kind of people. And therefore, it's not only our responsibility, but it's yours to try to keep it that way too. So do, he says, but look, it says, do good, O Lord, unto those that be good and to them that are upright in their hearts. And it comes from in, within a man as to how he does. You know, Jesus said, out of the heart of man comes forth what? Evil thoughts, murders, thefts, adulteries. These things proceed out of the heart of man. So within us, there is carnality. There is wickedness. There is sin. And the only way that we can be changed is by the grace of God. And it says, He shall purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living and true God. And He will make you. And He says, Be ye holy as I am holy. And He will make your life different. I'm thankful that God, by His grace, has made the lives of every one of you different. Because, you know, there's enough wickedness in the world, isn't there? Enough sinfulness, enough adultery and idolatry and, and uh, sinfulness and on every side. Violence and very, we have very limited amount of compassion and concern and care. I'm just anxious to, I won't have time tonight, but I'm anxious to get in that 126th Psalm because it says the one that goes forth and weepeth bearing precious seed. There should be some tears with all of our actions and all of our going forth. And we'll get into that in our next lesson possibly. 
We might have time tonight. I don't know. But let's, let's go with this. In verse um, 5, it says, For as such as turn aside unto their crooked ways, look, the fate of those who turn aside. Now look, they turn aside unto their crooked ways. They turn aside, and it's a wicked way. It's a crooked way. Then they make that crooked way their ways. See what happens? Notice how that's worded. You first turn aside. If you turn aside unto crookedness, and then the first thing you keep dealing with it, that's your way to be crooked. You see, we ought to be honest with one another, and we ought to deal uh, with uprightness with one another. It's, it says, The Lord shall uh, lead them forth with the workers of iniquity. He's not going to, to uh, lead those kind of people. The fate of those who turn aside. John says they went out from us, but they were not of us. Had they been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. When people go out from the children of God, from the church of God, the word of God, the things of God, the leading of the Holy Spirit of God, they're going out to make themselves manifest as where they really belonged in the first place. Sometimes they'll say, well, preacher, so-and-so, went, you know, they went out and they did so-and-so. Well, that's the way they wanted to go. I, I wouldn't like for them to do that. I'd like to encourage people to come to church. I'd like to encourage them to read the Bible. I'd like to encourage them to, to be grounded in the Word of God, to have some convictions about sin, as Brother Randy was saying earlier. You know, those folks that want to go doing the things, you know, like down at where's Baylor? They can go. If you want to go to a barn dance, go to a barn dance, but don't try to bring it in the church house. Church is not a place for that. And a lot of other things don't belong in the church. You know, there's all kinds of things that, are, that people can do and you know, people, I'm not judging anyone that goes because some people believe certain things are all right and others believe they're not and I'm not going to get into that. But you ask God to guide you and then probably you won't be as... Uh, if He's really guiding you and you want to do the things of God, you probably find more time to be involved in the Word of God and the witnessing of God and the preaching of the Word and, and doing the things that God wants you to do. And a lot less time to do some of the things that maybe be questionable. And whether they're right or wrong, that's not the point. You get involved in what God wants you to do and you, you won't have to judge whether they're right or wrong. You'll just say, I don't have time for it. Even if you have convictions against it, you still won't have time. Or for, if you think it's all right, you still won't have time for it if you're involved in what God wants you to do. Look at verse 5. As for such as turn aside unto their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them forth with the workers of iniquity. But look at this last statement. But peace shall be upon Israel. I'd rather have peace than all of it, hadn't you? Peace is promised to true believers. The Bible says in Isaiah 26, verse 3, Thou wilt keep him, listen carefully, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. So, trusteth in thee is faith, isn't it? His mind is stayed on thee, that means you're fixed upon the things of God. And then thou wilt what? Keep him in perfect peace. It's stated in the reverse. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Jesus said in John 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. In chapter 16, verse 33, he says, These things have I, I have spoken unto you, that in me, you might have peace. Where is it? In Jesus. Amen. That in me you might have peace. He says, In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In me you might have peace. And so the peace comes. I want to read another one in Psalm, and we'll close with this. 
peace from God's Word. Psalm 86. I go to it quite a bit. 85, rather. Psalm 85. And look at this verse. Verse 8. It says, I will hear what God the Lord will speak. Are we ready to hear what God says? I will hear what God the Lord will speak. Well, look. For He will speak peace unto His people and to His saints. Just by the power of His Word, He will speak peace. Jesus came after His resurrection. He says, Peace be unto you. He spoke it, didn't He? And when He spoke it, it was there. He says, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for He will speak peace unto His people and to His saints. Now He says this, But let them not turn again to folly. So we'll close with that word. We'll pick up in the next psalm would be Psalm 126 in our next lesson. We thank you for your patience and your kind attention and uh, continue to read in the psalms and study them. There's a lot more yet to come and a lot of good things.